Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 108. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am overjoyed to be joined by Rachel Barbeau. Rachel was the first female sports casting host on Sirius XM's College Sports Nation, and she's the first known female to participate in a professional football training camp. She organized a group to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in honor of football player Kevin Turner, and all of the proceeds of that went to the ALS Foundation in his honor. She's currently touring the country to share her message of Changing the Narrative, a program that encourages college football players and others to live their most authentic lives and looks to change the way people relate to one another. This interview was one where Rachel and I immediately connected, and it is so joy-filled that I just know you're not going to want to miss it. Before we get to that interview with Rachel, I first want to welcome all of you. I am so glad that you are here, and it is such a joy to have you listen in each week. If you want to find out more about this episode or the show itself, I publish show notes for each episode that include links to the guest's website, additional references, and some of my closing thoughts and takeaways about the topics that we discuss. You can find them on my website for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 108. Or if you're listening in this week, you can find them. There will be a link on the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com. This month, I'm asking all of you to do two things. The first would be, would you be so kind as to share Jumpstart Your Joy with a friend? If you know someone who loves podcasts and inspiration and wants to be a part of amazing and positive change in the world, would you please send them the link to jumpstartyourjoy.com? And if you're looking for more joy in your life, please head to the website yourself where you can find a free course that walks you through ways to find more joy in your everyday. It's called Joy Plus You Unleashed, and you can sign up for it right off of the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com. So there are interviews that just light me up even while they are happening, and speaking to Rachel was one of those. She is so enthusiastic and so focused on her own authentic journey that her, her passion for this is completely infectious. I love that she shares her early love of people and connections And that she talks about her grandmother, who was a bartender, (laughs) and that she's actively working to change football in a positive way. I love that she started radio during a time when there were not a lot of women in radio, and that she's pursued a role in an industry that has fewer women than men, and that she's determined to influence it in the best way that she can. As a podcaster, because there are still so many more male podcasters than female, and a woman, I totally applaud her on all fronts. It would be easy to get discouraged, but instead, Rachel digs in, she moves forward, and she keeps influencing change by getting in the ditch with people, as she says it, and finding ways to bless others with radical intention. So let's get on to this amazing interview with Rachel Barbo. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. Today, I have a very special interview with Rachel Barbo. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me, Paula. It's uh, anything that has to do with joy, spreading joy, giving joy, uh, encouraging joy is means a lot to me. And my middle name's Joy, and so my <laughs> uncle named me, and and we kind of laugh, and you know, we say 
never has a person lived up to a moniker so much as, as I have my middle name. <laughs> that was so amazing. Yeah, I saw that as I was looking around and I was like, yes, the synergy here is going to be yeah. so awesome. <laughs> well, the first question I ask everybody is tell us what you loved most as a child or in school. What were your earliest sparks of joy? People like I people like uh, this is the way I describe it. People are my currency. And because of them, I'm a billionaire. Hmm. I love it. it. it yeah. It's just, you know, when I was young, my grandmother was a bartender. And, you know, she was a bartender for 60 years, Paula. Mm. And she was behind the bar in Columbus, Georgia. And she waited on John Wayne, Truman Capote, Bear Bryant, Sonny Smith. She also waited on, and she went to parties at Truman Capote's house. She also waited on prostitutes and, and hookers and and politicians and soldiers and the soldiers would write her and bring her back things um, from overseas when they were serving and I'll, I'll never forget when i was young uh, looking at christmas time she would get hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of christmas cards and it, what i realized as i grew older is is she we are she was my soulmate before i lost her and still is but she had it figured out it's people and the more you invest in people, the more you love on people, the more you pour into people, the richer you are. You know, I, I'm not a woman that is a, a, about things. Um, I'm about people. And so the earliest memory for me is drinking my Shirley Temples and being at the bar and dancing with her. She taught me to dance to Michael Jackson. But just being around people and people loving me and spoiling me with love. And, and so that is carried over into my everyday life. And it affects every part of my life, from my personal life to my private life, to the way I don't give up on people. I don't give up on animals. I, I serve people. And so I think my joy is people. I love it. Oh, my goodness. I love it. And I love that. Oh, we also have a connection over grandmothers. <laughs> yeah, I was named after mine. And yeah, it's totally my soulmate as well. Yeah. And just amazing how they can come back to us. And the lessons we learn as little bitty kids sometimes, well, I mean, it just powers us right through. And I can see that there's a tie through here, of course, with what you do now. Would you like to give us the overview of, of who you are and what you do now? You know, it's so funny. People say to me, oh, my gosh, how do you have time? You know, they're like, what? <laughs> like, do you sleep? When do you sleep? I was like, I do sleep. But I, I do work a lot and work odd hours. So I am uh, a jack of all trades, master of some. I like to tell people that. I'm a sportscaster, have been for 13 years, um, and have just crushed a lot of ceilings and barriers in, in that regard. I never set out to do that. I was just trying to make it, Paula. I was mm -hmm. trying to keep a roof over my head and advance in my career. But along the way, I've become the first, a lot of things, first female on Sirius XM College Sports Nation which mm -hmm. is now um, ESPNU Radio, and I have a Heisman vote, the first female to host the college football playoff. So a lot of firsts. So I, I do that. I, I host on radio. I write for a site as well. I write a, a lot of stories that are in-depth and have a lot of joy and, and a backstory, feature-type stories, and then launched a foundation called Changing the Narrative, where I go to college football teams, and I talk to young men about purpose, passion, platform, how do we look at women and how do we talk about women and how we treat women and really mm -hmm. finding your greater purpose in life. And then I also have a little boutique with my mom and I coach young female sportscasters. I've coached over 30 in three years. And when they have success, it's like I have success. It's like a big sister type moment. And so, you know, I've always been one of those people that I said in a magazine article a couple of years ago, 
I'm not insecure. I know who, who has my future and, and what path that's on, and that's God for me. And so I'm not insecure so much that I won't tell you my secrets. You know, so many women in my industry are scared that the young woman's going to take their job or they're going to get canned. So they don't share their goodness. They don't share their lessons. They don't share the things that they do and they've been taught. And, and for me, when I see a young woman have success and employ some of the tactics that I taught her, Man, that's everything to me. Mm, yes. Amen. <laughs> In all of its meanings right there. Yeah. I mean, it's so amazing. I love what you're saying about the abundance factor there, or what I would call it as far as feeling like there's enough to go around. Like we only really extend our, our what, our entire field, whatever that field is, by sharing mm-hmm. with other people. And it's it's interesting because I think this will, I have a feeling this will probably be a bigger theme throughout our discussion, but kind of that sense of, sure, there's a lot of competition as there is in football and sports, but there's also that other piece of the story. And I think that's what's so engaging and amazing and delightful about you and your work is that you can see the competition, but you also see that there's more around and under and all the way through all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, what I've always said is everybody has a story. Some people mm-hmm. just need help telling it, right? Yes. And so I've, I've been about the X's and O's. I obviously, as the only female on ESPNU radio, you have to be about the X's and O's. I'm a constant student of the game uh, of football. And, but for me, uncovering that story behind the story and getting to tell why that happened and why he feels this way and what happened here and, and all the beautiful synergy that had to happen to get for somebody to get to a place and all the things that they've, they've endured to get there. Yeah. So that's kind of my lane and, and one of my specialties and, and telling those stories and, and hopefully very soon be writing a book about it. And so there's that side of it. And the other side is, is you can't take from me what's meant for me, right? Like you, mm. you, you know, and I, I tell young women this all the time. There's never anything that you're supposed to have a job you're supposed to have, a man, whatever it is, that you have to stab somebody else in the back to get. So when you operate out of, as you mentioned it, a sense of abundance, and God has for me, and whatever it is people believe, for me it's God, you know, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And Mm -hmm. he has things that are already been written out since the beginning of time for your life. When you live like that, I talk about to these young men, the hashtag is be a king, right? Like, I want Mm. you to be a king, not just on the football field, with your word, with your time, with your effort, with your character, the way you talk about women, not just the way you treat them, the way you talk about them when they're not around. Like, I'm talking about an elevated life, like the way you serve, the way you give back, the way you love people, the way if you screw up, you go back and say, I'm sorry. So we can, you know, we can conversely just say, be a queen. It's the (laughs) same thing. When you live like that, when you respect yourself and you respect others, adding to that list, when you live like that, that elevated life, it, I, I tell you, the air is much sweeter up here. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's so true. Yeah. Well, and there's a sense of, I mean, you kind of pull people in when you're living in that space. I mean, because you put out that vibe. If you're, if you're of a competitive nature, well, then people know when they step next to you or, you know, into a meeting with you or onto the field with you that that they better watch themselves. But when you put out that piece of, I'm inviting you into this conversation, I see in you the best mm-hmm. part of yourself, and I want you to be that person. Well, then they kind of, I mean, we all want to rise to that occasion. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, yeah. one of the things I do when I'm when I'm uh, collaborating with anybody 
it's just a small thing, but it's a thing I do. And somebody taught me along the way when I'm collaborating with somebody on anything and they may be underneath me, they may be, you know, above me, whatever it may be. But if I'm say I'm sending an email, Paula, Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'll kind of lay out what I think, and at the end of it, and I'll say, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? And that may seem so simple, but what it does is it says, I value you. I value your thoughts. I value who you are. I value your opinion. Let's attack this together. And I think if we just, we could apply that to so many facets of our life, if, if we turned to somebody and said, what do you think about this? You know, what's your opinion? I think, man, we'd, we'd get along a heck of a lot better. Yeah. Isn't that so true? I don't know if you'd, you'd speak a little bit about this. And for the journalism side of things and the sports casting side, like it's really inspiring to see that you are actively going for, like you're saying, the other side of the story, not just the sports piece, but the what's yeah. the human connection behind behind that? And what's this person's story? I know you have training as a journalist. Was it your decision? Mm-hmm. Like, are you strategically going after both of those pieces? Or is this something that's just so thoroughly you that there's, I mean, is there no other way that you could do this? You know, it's a great, it's actually a great question. Thank you. But the story behind it is, is pretty fantastic. So in 2014, I lost my father quite unexpectedly and I was adopted by my dad, very big proponent of adoption, want to adopt myself one day because of it. And my dad adopted me when I was 18 months old. And so he, I was his only child and he passed away very suddenly. And it, 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 you know, it, it, it racked me. It, it, uh, it gutted me. It was right in the beginning of football season. And I only was able, as a sideline reporter at the time for the ACC network, I was only able to take off one week of work and go clean out his house in every earthly possession, Paula, and put it into a storage unit. And um, thankfully, my mom, my stepdad came and helped me do that. And I had been pushing for a story at the time on a, on a young man that your listeners may know because he's transcendental. I mean, Dak Prescott, he's the quarterback now of, of the Dallas Cowboys. And I'd been pushing for a story on him with my employer at the time, Bleacher Report, and they finally said yes to the story. So here I am just 40 days after he's passed, and I'm still very raw, and we're getting ready for the interview. And Dak had lost his mama two years before. And so we're talking before the interview, and I just teared up. You know, we, we talked, we, we showed, you know, the, the tattoos on our wrist, one for my dad, one for his mom. It said, his said, M-O-M, mind over matter. And he kind of gestures to her uh, before every game and after every game. And when the interview was over, you know, the, the SID at, at Mississippi State said, besides Tom Rinaldi, that's the best interview he's ever done. Like, nobody's gotten in to open up like that. And I said, well, sadly, we are both part of a club that no one wants to be a part of, the club that we lost our parents too soon. Mm -hmm. And so I left there, Paula, and I went to my editor at Gridiron a little bit later, and I said, I want to write about Dak Prescott. And I'm going to write about how he's doing this and that and this on the field. And I said, you know, I visited with him, and this happened. I said, but nobody cares about that part. And he said, Rachel, Rachel. He said, everybody cares about that part. That's the human part. Like that is the human part of what happened and the connection that happened between you two. Well, subsequently, I was ended up, I think, as a God wink, able to get in touch after doing some research on the Internet and got in touch with his uncle. And his uncle ends up telling me these stories that no one has ever told before, reported on. Mm -hmm. And so I put those stories together, Paula with my uh, with my personal experience with him and the rawness of it and how he wrapped his arms around me and hugged me before the interview because he saw in my eyes what he had been through and that changed everything 
from that mm. moment forward, my personal life was injected into stories and they have gone viral. Almost all my stories have gone viral <laughs> and, and it's because I, I never knew it. I didn't get it. It, it. I didn't put two and two together that people wanted that. And my editor was like, Rachel, that's exactly what they want. They want real. They want you. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a beautiful thing. I stumbled into it, but I don't think it was by accident. Right. Mm, wow. That's so powerful. I mean, I can only imagine the moment of you two realizing, wow, there's this kind con this connection that, like you said, this is not something anybody ever wants to have happen, but then realizing in someone else, Hey, I see you and I can see the pain and I know where you've been and where you're going. Yeah. That's really, really powerful. And yeah, I mean, this, this show in and of itself also comes from that kind of a place where, I mean, real briefly, the, my backstory would be that my, I had a really difficult birth with my son. And, but there was this moment where I figured out and, and realized I need to be there for him. I want to be there for him in totality as a joyful person. And so instead of really getting dragged into the depression that I could have, I don't know if chosen is the word, but that I could have fallen into, I said, no, I'm going to fight. And that's, it's that yeah. little bitty moment. That, and I think that's exactly what you're describing in a way that you said, no, I'm going to go for this. Like, there's something more here. And I really want to speak to this person. And then realizing that the story was something way beyond what the sports piece of it was. And, you know, what's the neatest part of it is, is every Sunday when he plays, even, mm -hmm. you know, when he was still at, at Mississippi State, but every Sunday when he plays and somebody Googles Dak Prescott, that story ends up near the top. So more people are discovering who he was as a, uh, as a biracial child and the racism that he endured and how he overcame that and just the what a fine human being he is mm -hmm. and so every Sunday people are discovering that more and more and that that brings me joy I think you know it, for your story where I can relate to that and I think the listeners will is you know somebody told me a long time ago you can be a victim or you can be a victor mm, and I yes. think in that moment you chose to be a victor right like you mm -hmm. could have easily you know, said, oh, God, this is terrible, you know, all those things, right? But you said, I've got a greater purpose here, and that is to be a parent and to be a mom, and I'm going to overcome this. And I think for so many people, it I, I say this to people all the time, it does. It's, it's a, a decision in your head, right? And, it, mm -hmm. and, and do we have to sometimes, you know, I, I lost my adopted grandfather just uh, yesterday was a year anniversary. I took the day to just wallow in it. But then this morning when I got up, Paula, I said, I'm going to pull myself up my bootstraps and I'm going to have the best day ever. So mm. I think it's allowing ourselves to have those moments where we're not okay, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. But then choosing to say, I'm coming back stronger, bigger, better than ever. Yes. Yeah. And realizing it is a choice, even if it's just the yeah. one day that's, it's just a tiny bit better, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the hard thing too. Like it's really, you can't go, you know, zero to 60 usually, but sometimes some days, but, but that sometimes it's that progression and it's the choice of, I'm going to find the right person to talk to. I'm going to, you know, get myself a sandwich. That sounds tasty. Yeah. Whatever that little yeah. bitty joy is. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so let's talk about changing the narrative because it feels like a really great place to pull that in. It sounds like probably that your your discussion with Zach Prescott probably then what that changed the narrow narrative for you that led to changing the narrative, I would guess. Is that is that kind of the daisy chain of events that happened there? Yeah, you know, for um I, he he's exemplary. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what I knew 
when I met him was that there were many Dak Prescotts, many Dakota Prescotts across the country at these programs. But what was happening, and it started in the summer of 2016, what was happening was the, the, the knuckleheads, the guys who weren't doing it the right way, they were stealing the headlines, right? They yes. were, when you turned on CBS, ESPN, Fox News, Fox Sports, whatever it may be, those are the things you're reading about. And it was mm-hmm. breaking my heart. And I'm like, this is the sport that I've given my life to, like 13 years I've given my life to. What is this? And so I decided to do something about it. And I, I wrote a very simple curriculum, Paula, uh, you know, and it's simple stuff like, who are you away from the football field? If you're mm-hmm. never a football player, who would you be? What sets your soul on fire? Like, what are you passionate about? Um, you know, we, we talk about women. We talk about how popular culture will say women are pieces of meat and every other terrible adjective, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you that you can, excuse my French, hit it and quit it. You know, these types of things. And, and the over-sexualization of our society and get them to look at women uh, like you look at your mom or your sister or your grandmother. And when you start to look at all women like that, it becomes, wow, you, you, you change the way you talk about women, the way you look at them. But what I'm really finding, and I've been to 16 schools in, in one year, August was uh, 2017 was a year and I have many, many more. I started a foundation and I'm going to help these young men on certain men on each campus that will be voted on by their peers, the, the man that most exemplifies the change in the narrative tenets. He's, He's kind, he's thoughtful, he serves, he gives every, you know, everything he has. He's a leader. They'll vote on him. And one young man from each campus I've been to, when he exhausts his eligibility, will get a $2,500 endowment to start his own foundation. So mm. what we're doing, and it's so beautiful, is in 10 years, I'll be able to look back and there'll be 20, 15, 30 foundations of young men that whatever it is that sets their soul on fire, right? Like whatever it is that grieves them, that they want to change in the world, that they feel particularly passionate about. And so I'm getting these young men to one, start thinking forward past football and and two, thinking about how the way that we live our lives and the elevated sense of being a king and the way we treat and talk to women, how we affect the people around us. And this has been nothing short of miraculous. I took a tiny idea and God just took it and ran with it. There was over 2 million hits uh, this summer on Twitter alone for changing the narrative. But for me, the, what, what I know is a success is when, when I have them in my arms after, after I talk, I'm like five, two and a half when I take my vitamins. <laughs> and this is big football players and they're hugging me and they're whispering in my ear, Rachel, you're the first person that's ever told me I had worse outside of football you know, or telling me stories of, of how their dad has been a deadbeat dad there his whole life. But because of the talk, he felt uh, encouraged to go and pick up the phone and call the father and tell him he forgives him. And he forgave him for being a deadbeat dad. He felt like a weight was lifted off of him. I mean, hundreds of stories like this, Paula, mm. and, and we're just getting started. And that's the most, it's, it's, it is the most mind-blowingly beautiful thing I've ever been part of. And, and I, I pinch myself on a daily basis that, that this was my baby idea. Mm, yeah. Well, and so for those out there that, I mean, I feel like, like I've got to ask for those people that have yeah. a son, how do we start to change the narrative on the, like on the home front, right? Like how do we, do you have suggestions on that? Like something we can do you know, what's, what's shifted? I don't, I guess I'm, I know it's a problem, but I don't know that I know how to fix it. 
I think it's the culture that we're living in, one, mm-hmm. okay? I yeah. also think it's the Internet, and I think it's social media. Um, it, it's just different for them now, okay? So if I had a son, and I feel like I have thousands of them all over <laughs> the country now, and, you know, I want to adopt one day, and it's it's funny. Somebody said to me, you know, I thought at this point in my life I would have already adopted, and somebody said to me, well, Rachel, you have. It's just not the way you think it, It you know, you thought they were going to be under your roof, You've got adopted young men all over the country. And I was like, wow, that's, that's <laughs> profound. That is very profound. But I think the conversation starts like this, Paula, depending on what age they are, you know, is, is what do you think about her? Like, how do we look at women? You know, how do, we, how do we view women? If you've got a young man, a preteen, a teen, you know, they're listening to other guys and they're talking about girls. And you sit down and you talk to them and you say, hey, can I just have an honest conversation with you? Like, no judgment whatsoever. Like, when your buddies get together, how do they talk about girls, right? Like, mm-hmm. what do they say? What do they call them? And then if they tell you they call them something derogatory, you, you, can, you can sub in and say, well, what if they were talking about your sister? Or what if that was me they were talking about? What would you say to them then? And so I think that's when we start to challenge, you know, what popular culture is telling us because magazines, music, movies, all of that is jump in the bed very quickly. And that's very prevalent, over-sexualized. It Mm -hmm. it is a lack of respect for women. And it is all about, I put put this post up uh, the other day on Instagram, and it was like, it grieves my spirit, Paula, to see these young women that all of their Instagram pictures are of their breasts or their butt, you know, their goodies. Yes. And and I, I said, I put this post up and I said, honey, that's going to fade. Who are you? Like, who are you? What makes you, you know, what makes you happy? What are you doing to make the world a better place? Like, who are you? Because that sexuality is going to fade. A pretty heart does not fade. But that sexuality is going to fade. And I think so many of us are young people are relying on that sexuality. And it's a false sense of security. So you have young women doing that, right, putting that on the internet, and that on social media, then you have young men reacting to that. And then don't even get me started, these coaches, and this is going down another uh, whole lane, but these coaches are telling me, Rachel, we've got a real problem with the porn culture and mm-hmm. young men thinking that that is reality and that's how a woman should be treated or will be treated and that's how things go. And, and it's infiltrating our children younger and younger. And so I think it's starting to have honest conversations with our young men about what are you hearing? What are you seeing on, on Instagram? You know, if they're old enough for an Instagram, what are you seeing on Facebook? What if you challenge that? You know, what does, if you are a, you know, a faithful person, what does the Bible tell us about that? What, what, mm-hmm. what is countercultural to, to what you are seeing? And so I do think it begins with, with conversations in the home from, from a tiny age up to preteen to teen. I, I really don't think it's ever too late to turn it around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as, as you're saying that too, I, I'm, like I'm sensing like as a mother, I, part yeah. of me is like, oh, that's kind of a uncomfortable place to go. But on the other hand, the courageous thing to do is to walk right into that space and what and the honorable thing to do for even myself and yeah. any other woman out there is to step into that space and start to have those conversations because yeah, there's no one there's no one else that's going to have that discussion with my own son or if you're listening your own son or your yeah. own daughter. I mean, that's yeah. it has to start at home so our own discomfort is really not a great excuse for why we might not have that discussion. Well, you know what's interesting about that? 
somebody will have a conversation with your son or daughter, but it won't be the person you want to be having a conversation with them, right? right. It'll yes. be their friends. It'll be, you know, somebody older that, you know, that maybe doesn't have the best interest at heart. It'll be peer pressure. It'll be those things. And to your point, which I think you make a great point, is, is I feel like where we are as a society as a whole, mm-hmm. that, that the world is calling for each one of us to get in uncomfortable situations, right? Like, Put yourself out there. I think, you know, as a a great example, the horrific tragedy that just happened in Las Vegas, Mm. you know, somebody saw something, something was off. Some, there was somebody that, in my opinion, somebody along the way with that, that man turned the other way, turned their head, right? Didn't want to get involved. Didn't want to call it in. Didn't want to be a weirdo. Didn't want, there's always warning signs with people when they, they do these things. There's always red flags. And so I just wonder when every one of these situations happen, which are happening too often, like who was the person that, that didn't call it in, that didn't, that didn't uh, make the, you know, the, the uncomfortable conversation or, or look twice or cross the street. So I think as a whole, and this can apply to anything, and I tell these young men this, life is calling for you to get in a ditch with somebody. Mm-hmm. Life is calling for you to help somebody when it's not pretty, when it's messy, when they need you the most, because as you know, as, I, as well as I know, Paula, hurt people hurt people, yes. right? So the nastiest people in the world are the ones that need you the most. They need mm-hmm. you to dig deeper. They need you to push harder. They need you to ask more questions. And so I think, you know, with that situation in Vegas, all the people that perpetrate crimes like this, there's some sense of isolation. There's some sense of, and so I just feel as a whole, if we as a human race would start to say, I'm going to go the extra mile for humanity. I'm going to go the extra mile for kindness. I'm going to go the extra mile and get in the ditch with you in all facets of our lives. My preacher on Sunday, it was so big. He said, who are your neighbors? Who are your six neighbors? And, 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 you know, people couldn't, couldn't name them. And he said, I'm calling you to something higher than posting Instagram posts about kindness and and love and love harder and all these things. He said, why don't you take a bowl of soup or a, a crock pot of soup to your neighbor? Um, why don't you go and, and help the little lady across the street? So I think if we would, if as a whole, would start to get in the ditch proverbially with people in life, I feel like our life from here on out as humans could be exponentially better. Yeah, because it's very hard to start to feel like what someone is other than us when we've looked them in the eye and we've handed them soup or cookies or whatever it is. And we know their name and we've, we've sh- shaked their yeah. hand. It's a, it's a whole different thing. And I, and I think you're so right. It's so easy to isolate and hide behind those things that make us feel like, Oh, well I'm impenetrable over here on Instagram. I can say whatever I want. And you know what else, Paula? Mm-hmm. I think too, people like to put out their best selves on Instagram, oh, yes. their best part of their relationships on Facebook. You would think that Nancy Joe and Bob's marriage was peachy. And mm-hmm. in reality, they might be having a real hard time. I'm a proponent of being real. I'm yeah. a proponent of saying, hey, I'm a Christian, but here's where I struggle. Or, hey, my heart is broken. Or, hey, um, you know, this is burdening me right now. Like, I feel like r- people gravitate towards real when you are transparent when you are, I am not perfect. I do not have model looks. I do not have it all together. I make lots of mistakes. 
I think, you know, people, it, it's a, the whole reason why people can relate to Bob Costas, who's five foot two, and not Tom Brady, who's six five and got a supermodel wife and supermodel good looks and multiple Super Bowls because people like real. Yeah. Mm, Bob Costas. I love him. <laughs> he truly is the voice <laughs> of the Olympics, too, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and interestingly, also goes after all those human interest and human angle yep. stories. Um, yeah. I'm four foot ten, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I love what you're saying too about the like ditch the mask and kind of go after yeah. share share what's uncomfortable both with our children so that they can learn that no one's perfect and that there's other ways to treat people, but also just Letting go of feeling like we got to compete with, I think you called them Nancy, Joe, and Bob and their marriage. Because there's, <laughs> we're not going to beat them on, on Facebook. Like, they're, they're not even no. that <laughs> in real life. <laughs> it's so true. I just think we would relate so much more as human beings to each other if we just pulled off the mask and started getting real. Yes, I, I fully agree. And I don't know what you share. I know you posted earlier in October about, I feel like this is one of those stories, but about Nick Saban and the Alabama team. Do you, would you share that story? Because it's so inspiring and so lovely and you did it such justice. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was another one of those stories mm. that some people would say fell into your, your lap. I don't think it fell into my lap at all. I think it was, it was like a God wink for me. I, you know, as a sportscaster, I get a lot of for, uh, for tickets, for balls, for, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, I, I, I can't do that. It's just, I can't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't, first of all, I don't really have connections to tickets. I'm, I'm on a, on a credential and I'm going to work. That's the first <laughs> thing. Yeah. But secondly, it's not, it's not coos and it's not professional for me to say, Hey coach, can you sign a game ball for me while I do an interview with you? So those things don't work, but a friend reached out to me, a fan that has become a friend and has been a fan for many, many years, reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and said, Rachel, my best friend's grandchild is sick with a brain tumor, and she really wants to meet Coach Saban. Some people have given her, uh, gracious people, angels, have given her tickets to mm -hmm. the Ole Miss game and a place to stay, and can we make this happen? And so... You know, I just, if, if I'm, if I'm preaching this and with my life and my words, then I have to live it. You know, you can't, you can't be a hypocrite. And so um, I didn't know this little girl, didn't know her from Adam's house cat, um, felt drawn to do this. And so I, I made a call. It didn't work out. Uh, she, she couldn't get me anywhere. I made another call. It didn't work out. And, and the third call, another angel inside the Alabama football program, which I'm very familiar with having lived in Tuscaloosa and covered the Alabama Crimson Tide to a couple of national championships. And I also survived a tornado there in 2011. And so I called and he said, well, call this person. If you don't get them, call Nick Saban's uh, personal secretary. Now, Nick Saban's secretary, she's the ultimate gatekeeper. You know, mm -hmm. if, if she can get past her, you know, then that's a good thing. She used to be a secretary for Bill Belichick by the Patriots. And so- mm -hmm. I sent it to her and I, I, I know her and she's, she is another angel. And, and they basically, they set it up for Aubrey. Her name's Aubrey Nicholas. And they set it up for her to come on a Friday. Well, Aubrey couldn't come on the Friday because she was getting radiation. She has DIPG, which is a brainstem tumor that kind of branches out. And, you know, there's no cure for it. They're trying to do radiation to keep it localized. And, and, it's, and it can be fatal. The, the stats aren't great. And so we kind of thought that was it. You know, we thought they were going to send them a game ball and that was it. 
Well, Linda went the extra mile. You're talking about getting in the ditch with people and going the extra mile. Mm -hmm. She comes back and says, no, no, if she can't be there on Friday, then this is what we're going to do. Aubrey and her family, any member that she chooses, uh, ever how many that, that, that she wants there, will be on the sidelines pregame. Nick will come out and meet her. State troopers will uh, escort her. There will be a photographer there to capture the whole thing. And so that's exactly what happened. And, and Nick Saban came out to meet her and they, you know, she got up out of her wheelchair and, and he went to hug her and, and she kind of pushed him away. And, and he, she said, Oh no, no, I've got a, I've got a present for you. And she had an Aubrey's army shirt and a, mm -hmm. and a bracelet. And he said, you've got a present for me. You know, he was a little shocked. And I think he was so touched in that moment that he bent over and kissed her on the, on the top of the head and he's got a grandchild. And, and that has really softened him up, Paula, over the years. And and in that moment, it was an iconic moment. And that picture just went viral, went absolutely viral because it was a tender side of Nick Saban that not many people get to see. I know that side because I know his wife and I know their love story. They let me, they write, she let me write it, but not everybody gets to see that. And so that wasn't it for, for little Aubrey and her family. She got to meet her favorite player, uh, Jalen Hurts, and he put on her bracelet and, you know, gave her you know, a fist bump and gave her a hug. And Aubrey's mom, Brooke, told me, she said, you know, some people, they just, they don't mean to, but they don't want to be around sick kids. It's almost like they get the, you know, like, mm -hmm. don't want to touch her, don't want to. And she said, neither one of them, everybody, the cheerleaders, everybody, but neither one of them, Nick Saban nor Jalen Hurts, had any of that in them. They just hugged her. They embraced her. They loved her. And that is a moment for them that they'll be able to carry as they go to the radiation and also go to New York to try to get some specialized treatment to mm -hmm. try to beat this thing. Right. And it just, it takes so many people saying yes. To, I mean, really to love, uh, yeah. to saying yes <laughs> to the connection yeah. and the humanity and, and who can I be today? And yeah. like, that's just, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. Thank you for sharing it. It's really a really beautiful story. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I love that as as the journalist, you're on the lookout kind of for these stories. But like you said, sometimes they just come into your lap and, and then yeah. it's thank you for thank you for carrying them through. Right. Like <laughs> that could have just stopped. It takes a special yeah. It's, I, I, and the, I think for me, what I've learned is um, because these stories have gone viral is the world wants it. You know, when I when I put out these kind of stories of like the Dak Prescott story or this story or the hundred other stories I've written in the past couple of years like this, people, they're, they're like, oh my gosh, we need more of this. You know, we need, and it was just a couple of days, the story went out after the, the shooting in Vegas. And so people were desperate for good news. They were desperate for something besides sadness and depravity. And I think the world needs more of the, these stories. And I always say to people, don't ever let anyone tell you that good news doesn't sell. Oh, it's so true. And it's so, I mean, so at the heart of even this show for me is, you know, if it hits one person that needed to hear how someone, you know, grabbed onto joy and followed it through just for today, like that's, that's what it's about is really rising to that occasion and, and trying to put some other good news out there for people. So Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. So do you want to, before we get into the last couple of questions, do you want to explain how people could get involved with changing the narrative or where they can find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. They can go, I have two websites and they can go to imchangingthenarrative.com. That's imchangingthenarrative.com. And that's got every bit of uh, uh, videos and information, how to get in touch. If they want to bring me in to 
their corporation, to their school, to their church group, uh, whatever it may be. And as I mentioned before, changing the, I'm changing the narrative. You can it can apply to anybody. It doesn't have to apply just to college uh, athletes, male athletes. It applies to anybody. And then my other website is rachelbarbeau.com. And there, there's a contact button if you go. And I'm very active on on, on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, at Rachel Barbeau, and that's B-A-R-I-B-E-A-U. Um, and I just, I really love, like, as I said at the beginning, I love interacting with people. Wonderful. And I'll put links to all of those in the show notes. Well, so yeah, let's jump to the last two. Where have you seen resistance come up in your life and how have you overcome it? Oh, I, in my career, for sure, you know, being a female and a, and a male dominated, especially radio, there's a lot of women, I've been a sideline reporter on television, um, but especially in radio, there's, you know, we, what do you do, you know, you don't know nothing about football, you ain't never strapped on a helmet, you know, there's a lot of those, and I actually went to training camp with a professional indoor football team, and lasted for five days to two a days uh, in my late 20s, three hours of football in the morning and three hours at night. And they, they tackled me. They beat me black and blue. And I did it because I didn't want any man to be, ever be able to say that to me again. And so I like to be able to, you know, kind of give it back to him and say, oh, yes, I have. I know football. But I think there's still, as evidenced by Cam Newton recently and other people, there's still these men that think in their hearts. And sometimes they let the rest of the world know it with their comments that they don't think that women understand football or know football or know sports and just don't have the capability to. I think that's one place. And Paula, the other place that I have I have experienced resistance is in being a dynamic, go-getting <laughs> woman who wants to, quote unquote, have it all. I think the world starts to tell little girls in certain ways as they grow up, society does, that, you're, that there's something wrong, that, that somehow you're too much. You're too mm. something. Yep. You're too sensitive. You're too loud, you're too outgoing, you're too vivate, you know, what you put two in front of whatever. The other thing is that you're not enough of something, right? And so I've started to talk to a lot of women lately about what the world has told them and these kind of preconceived notions that there's something wrong with them, you know, that, oh, you'll find a husband when you do this, or you'll find a husband when you're not so much this. I strike all that down. I tell them that's a lie. You are, you are creating the image of God. You are enough. You are perfect. You are beautiful, you know, from the inside out. And, and you need to operate in your life with that knowing. And so I think one is the, is the career, and you kind of understand that being a female in a, in a male's world. But the other is of being a dynamic woman who is a go-getter and, and has all these things going on, but also has a place in my heart and a desire in my heart to be a wife and a mom. And so I just want to shatter the myth for women that you're too anything or that you're not enough. And I just want to tell them you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're a warrior, and revel in that today. Know that today. Receive that today. Thank you. Yes, that's oh, that's a great answer. And I can relate <laughs> to both of those things. Yes, I was always a little too something, outgoing, yeah. loud. <laughs> Laugh too much. Isn't that that crazy? Like, so you start even the most together girls, and we're all still girls. We're also little girls inside. The most together girls that that I talk to, I'm like, so where, you know, what is your your insecurity? You know, like, what is your, you know, what's your ism? You know, and you start to talk about it. And a beautiful gal friend of mine, she was like, I've just always been told I'm too sensitive and too sensitive. And she was like, so because of that, I've shut down emotionally, kind of feel dead inside because of that. 
And so if, if we were watching Wonder Woman. I got all, you know, empowered after watching Wonder Woman. But I just fe- I feel like I want to, like, get in front of the women of, of the world and tell them there is nothing wrong with you. You are amazing. You are perfect. There is nothing wrong with you. And guess what? There's only one of you in the entire world. Like, there's w- just one of you. And God didn't take the day off when he created you. He created you in his image in this beautiful being. And so if, if I can get that to sink in to, to women's brains, I think some women might be operating on a different level. Mm, I love it. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Oh, gosh, Rachel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Yeah, I think the first for me is start to focus on what you do have versus what you don't have. So easy in this world to focus on all the things that, you know, that that aren't going right. And for me, every time I get groceries and I've got groceries sitting on, you know, my counter and I come home to the grocery store, I thank God. And what again, for me, it's God, but for whatever it is for you, but I, I, I give thanks for every piece of grocery, of food that I put into my refrigerator, to my pantry, because so many across the world would give anything to have sustenance like that, right? So Mm -hmm. I think the first thing is, is being grateful for what you do have versus focusing on what you don't have. And I I love what Tony Robbins says, and, and he talks about setting your intentions at the beginning of the day, focusing on three things and focus like three or four minutes on three things that you that you're so grateful for like you're so grateful for your family the roof over your head your job the vacation you got you know whatever it is focus on those three things and when you have a grateful heart i don't think you have a lot of room for other things you know coach of mine recently she's amazing said to me rachel there's only two two emotions in which we do everything from just two emotions Hmm. fear or love all of it Every response we give, everything we go after, everything we do, everything comes from either fear or love. And so when you figure that out and, and you get down to the nitty gritty of that, you're like, oh, wait, was that coming from a place of fear or lack or scarcity? And that's fear, right? Or was that mm-hmm. coming from a place of love, building somebody up, taking the, the suit to the neighbor, um, going the extra mile, telling the little old lady in the grocery store that she's beautiful. You know, I, oftentimes I'll see little old ladies in the grocery store that are 80, 90 years old, and you could tell Paula that they have taken an hour to get ready to go to the grocery mm-hmm. store. I mean, they have got their suits on and their little hats and their makeup. And I remember one recently, and I just said, ma'am, may I, I, I tell you something? She was like, yes. And I said, you are so beautiful. I said, you look so pretty today. And she, you know, she was bent over, and I swear, Paula, she kind of stood up straighter. And she said, thank you so much. She said, that just made my day. She said, I live alone. I'm 91. And that just made my day. So I think uh, when you focus on, on the things that you do have, you set your day and your intentions at the beginning of the day. For me, I always put my feet on the ground and say, "Woo, devil, I'm awake. I'm awake. You better be, you better be fearful of what I'm going to do today. You know, and I tell them to go back to hell. But I, you set your intentions at the beginning of the day. And then I think you look for ways intentionally to bless other people, like just bless them radically. Like, you know, you look gorgeous today or, Hey, I, I told a guy at CrossFit today, his son's sick. I've been praying for your son all morning. Go out of your way to bless people intentionally. And when you do that, it's like a boomerang of joy that comes back at you. 
Oh, I agree. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, Rachel, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. This is this is obviously, as you can tell by my passion, this is what I love talking about. Uh, I love talking about people and and blessing people and how we can make this life a better place and and this world a better place in the time that we're here because it's just an instant. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me this week. I am so inspired by your drive and your love of your work and the way that you keep finding new ways to bring love and joy to others. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for starting these discussions and mirroring how we can make a difference in the world. If you want to learn more about Rachel, you can visit her website at rachelbarbo.com or you can head to my website where I will have links to all the things that we've discussed and you can find it at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 108. From there, you can learn more about changing the narrative, which is Rachel's program, and you'll find links to follow Rachel on Twitter and other social media. And while you're there, of course, be sure to sign up for the Joy Plus You e-course where you'll learn how to boost more joy in your life. Next week on the show, I'm going to be doing my November solo cast, which is all about taking risks and making connections. Over the last month, I have had so many beautiful reminders of how taking some pretty scary risks, making myself vulnerable, and connecting with people has totally shifted my whole life. I'll share about my time on the New Kids on the Block cruise. Uh Uh-huh, yep. (laughs) And I went on with my sister, which was a journey that started nearly two years ago with an interview I did on this show. And I'll talk about how saying yes to coach training has also changed my life. So come back next week to hear all of those amazing stories, along with pictures that will be on the blog. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much 